This podcast is sponsored by Luke1977. Use my discount code MAX20 to get yourself 20% off on almost anything over at Luke. Obviously, it's getting a little bit colder outside and Luke have just brought out the brand new Autumn 23 range and there's some absolute beauties in there. So if you fancy getting yourself a bargain and also supporting the channel, please go and use the code MAX20 over at Luke. we do crack on into this podcast i do apologize for the quality of my microphone throughout for some reason my normal microphone wasn't connected despite uh, the fact that i thought it was so i do apologize for that we'll be back to normal uh, for the next podcast it's not too bad but it's not quite as crisp as i would have liked and not quite as crisp as simon so apologies for that right hello and welcome back to another villa on tour podcast i'm your host max stokes as ever joined by simon Lyons. simon firstly how are you secondly Fifth place, Aston Villa in the Premier League, going into the October international break. It's not bad, is it? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very well, thank you. And uh, yeah, it just, it feels good, doesn't it? It feels good that we're back amongst the big boys, really. Like, how, how long has it been when we're talking about Villa heading into like an international break, a couple of months into the season, saying that we're sort of fifth in the table, and really rightly so as well, really deserved as well. It just feels really, really good, doesn't it? Absolutely, it's looking good. Um, like I said, Aston Villa fifth in the league on 16 points. It's very, very close up there. Arsenal beating Manchester City has, has put a bit of a spanner in the works at the top of the league. I don't think Man City have lost two games in a row for years and years and years. Obviously, Tottenham winning as well. They sit at the top of the league. It's all very close. I think at the start of the season, me and you were talking about our, our champions, and it was always going to be Man City as this sort of machine. It could quite easily still be that. But just talking about the wider sort of football sphere in, in the Premier League, it's quite tight, uh, tight at the top, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. I think I think Man City always become that machine sort of thing in the final third mm. of the season, don't they? So, uh, I, you know, I, I think if you look back at last season, really how Arsenal dominated for so long and then Man City just turned up that pressure cooker on Arsenal to, towards the end and went on that incredible run. I mean, you expect Man City to get better as the season progresses. I'd, I'd say I don't. I don't think they'll be as sort of inconsistent as they've been in the early stages of the season for the whole year. Um, so I'd, I think it'll be a lot of chopping and changing. But you're right. It's sort of it's interesting at, at the moment because obviously you got Spurs sort of flying high as well, and um, and yeah, a, a lot a lot of things are opening up. But it's really tied to the top of that table, yeah. And so it should make for a, an interesting rest of the season, definitely. Yeah, Man City always seem to turn it on when they need to. I think sort of when you get into the new year, if they need to turn it on, they do. But again, last year, Arsenal were always at the top and when it mattered, they couldn't beat Man City, but they already have this season. So it'll be interesting to see some sort of title race because we haven't seen that in a little while. So we are into the international break now and this will be the final podcast for a couple of weeks because of that international break. Please do subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on, whether that's Spotify or Apple Podcasts or anything else so you never miss an episode and leave a review as well because that actually does really really help us out also please go and check out all the recent villa on tour videos as well whether it's the european ones the mustar game the wars video please go and check them out if you have missed them we will briefly chat about that mustar game in this podcast but the main focus of the podcast will be our reaction from that trip to the molyneux like i said we will chat a lot about that wars game in the podcast but because we haven't spoken about it already i do want to get your thoughts on that mustar game it feels like a good while ago now on thursday night Going into the game, there was, what, six changes, a few hitters, heavy hitters sitting this one out from the start. Matty Cash, Louise, Watkins, Torres, all on the bench to start the game. Were you slightly surprised by the amount of changes going into that game? Because it was a game that 
before before the match we were talking about we have to win this game because we started slowly in Poland and so it felt like we had to win that game so were you slightly surprised by the team going into that one? Um, I think maybe a little bit. I think I think um, I, th- I think the enforced changes probably didn't help with Diaby and Kamara, who obviously couldn't play. I, I think with the volume of injuries that we have and um, and we have been carrying all season, I think I think the manager's been trying to you know strike a bit of a difficult balance really. And so, and I think yesterday's game at Wolves kind of showed that some of the players are a little bit leggy because of the volume of football we've had. And so. I was a bit surprised on the night because obviously we we all we all knew that it was a kind of a must win for us. But then I think when when you see the reason behind it, you can kind of understand why. And obviously, it always feels better after a win. You can obviously look back at it and say, "Well, it was the right the right thing to do." But yeah, it, I suppose it was a little bit surprising. I thought we'd I, I did think we'd go a lot stronger just so we could ensure that we won the game. But luckily enough, it it, it turned out that that we did win the game anyway. Yeah, it was a little bit frustrating. I think I was sitting in the north stand for the first time in a good while and especially shooting towards that goal in the first half. It was frustrating. I think the best chance in the game actually fell to Mustar and it was one of their only chances, wasn't it? Emi Martinez uh, making an unbelievable save on one of their counter-attacks. And again, that's why you play your best players um, in, in the Europa Conference League. And I, I don't know. I think the second half, we were better, obviously, attacking the whole ten. I think we were slightly unlucky. We had a ridiculous amount of corners. And it just felt like one of them nights where it wasn't going to happen. Obviously, Villa getting awarded a penalty as well. That obviously gets uh, overturned rightly as well. Just felt like, especially ticking over to the 90, wasn't going to happen but it did John McGinn popping up with what was a brilliant brilliant header wasn't it yeah look it was a, it was that typical game where the opposition comes and really especially in the second half had sort of no intention of trying to win the game I think they struggled really to get out their own half didn't they in the second half it was quite it was quite funny in the end it was just we were throwing players forward in all sorts of positions there was no sort of cohesion was there in the second half we just knew that there wasn't going to be much danger on our goal and so we could just sort of go for it which we kind of did it was like playing like a computer game wasn't it in the second half which made it quite quite entertaining but um yeah look it was a it was a tricky game it's always tricky to break down sides that that sit that deep and I think their keeper was in sort of inspired form as well and so it was a it was a tested night definitely and we obviously had to bring some of the big hitters on to to overcome them but I don't know you felt like it was always going to come though didn't you and I know we left it very late what two minutes from the final whistle um but yeah it was just that one bit of quality essentially wasn't it It was uh, obviously Troy Ray made that run inside back into Matty Cash and then it was a great ball into McGinn who, who, who finished it off lovely with a great header and that's what you needed that little bit of experience that little bit of quality from Cash and McGinn out on that side um to be able to do it but it wasn't pretty we, we, we'd have loved for a, a more comfortable scoreline where we were all a bit more comfortable earlier on in the night but it wasn't to be but it was a must-win game and I, I think especially with the other result as well obviously Altmar beating Warsaw it it really opened and the group back up and it's all put us back level pegging essentially it's like we can we can all start again and it kind of makes the next game at Alkmaar big really because if Villa can go there and get something it really puts us in a decent decent position as we as we move forward especially with obviously the home games coming up as well if we can go to Alkmaar and get a result any sort of result really even a draw would, would be decent um, but if we can do that I think it puts us in a good place yeah, I think in terms of how the game went on Thursday, I think it's something that sort of Villa are going to have to get used to, especially with being one of the favourites in that competition. I think teams, especially at Villa Park, are going to come and, and especially in the group, sit back and potentially take a point. And a point would have been absolutely massive for Mustar, especially winning uh, their first game against RZ Alkmaar. But I think we're going to have to get used to that sort of style of play, aren't we, in terms of how we're going to break a team down. And we, we hadn't really had to do that last season, but especially in Europe, we need to sort of figure out that way, don't we, when teams do stick 10 men behind the ball of getting through them, don't we? Yeah, we do. And, and you're right. I think as you as you evolve into 
you know, a better side, a better, you know, you keep possession a lot, you're, you know, you're, you're a good attacking side. Teams are going to, going to come and sit deep, especially if, if they're not, if they're not as good as you or they're not going to retain possession as much as you, they're going to do that. They're going to sit in deep. And I think that will happen. That will happen in probably both the Premier League and the, and the Conference League, but more so the Conference League because I think teams just automatically know and think that the obviously the Premier League side is is, is obviously going to, be a, going to be a tough one to play. And so, yeah, it's something we've, we've got to get used to. Probably something we've got to get better at, really. I think it, it kind of happened in the Crystal Palace game, didn't it, a few weeks ago where they sort of sat and we struggled to break them down, essentially. They got that goal and... We really struggled to break them down, but it happened eventually. But you're right; it's something that we've probably got to get better at, and something we, we we've got to get used to as time goes on. Yeah, absolutely. And it's sort of as you were in the group now, isn't it? Like you said, everyone's on the same points, everyone's on the same goal difference, which you know you'd probably take coming out of that game in uh, Warsaw. You'd absolutely take that. And like you said, the next game away at Arsenal Alkmaar is absolutely massive. Obviously, they're top seed in the group. It's not going to be easy. Obviously, they beat Warsaw in the in the in the previous match day when we beat Mostar as well. So that's not going to be easy. It was sort of really interesting to see what was going on there at RZ versus Warsaw last Thursday. Two legia players getting arrested and they've been released under investigation on Friday from Dutch police. I think there was some sort of altercation with security inside the stadium. Uh, the legia president was also hit. There was a, a police officer who was knocked unconscious and UEFA are investigating the incident. But it's very, very very strange. You never see that, do you? But something to be wary of. Obviously, RZ were fined um, after what happened against West Ham. I think it was €80,000 uh, last season when their fans sort of stormed the, the family area where there were West Ham players' families and things like that. So Villa's next uh, test coming away, Alkmaar, sounds like it should be a little bit interesting with what's happened there previously. Very strange. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. As you say, like the, 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 those two incidents against West Ham last season and, and then Warsaw going there, which was probably never a good combination, was it, Warsaw? Or heading there, um, so not too surprised that something kicked off. But uh, yeah, it should make it for an interesting trip. I wonder whether we'll be, wonder whether we'll, we'll, we'll be given the same sort of treatment as we did when we went to Warsaw, and we don't see an Alkmaar fan, or we were all sort of, you know, banished away to one side and kept behind in the ground for two hours after the game. I wouldn't be entirely surprised if I'm being honest. That's enough Europe chat. Let's talk about the most recent game in the Premier League. Wolves away. I think going into the game. Both me and you predicted a really tough task, didn't we? I think we've lost five out of the last six at Molyneux. The only time we've won there in, in recent times is that El Ghazi penalty, which I've certainly forgotten about because there being no fans. So as a match-going fan myself, really, really don't enjoy going to Molyneux. We've got a really, really poor record there. And we were coming out of the stadium yesterday, weren't we? Talking about sort of recent Wolves teams and how they've changed over the years. Like when they had that really strong sort of Portuguese contingent, Patricio, Matinho, Neves, you know, Pique Jimenez up top as well. That was an unbelievable side, but I just feel like they're not really that team anymore, but they've sort of got elements of that where they don't really score too many goals, but they're still okay defensively. They're, they're still pragmatic. They're defensive. They can turn it on when they need to. So we were expecting a tough game going there, weren't we, yesterday? Yeah, definitely. I think they they w- would have gone into it with a lot of confidence after beating Man City, and they're they're sort of a very workman like team now, aren't they? They 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 get led from the back from Craig Dawson, who you know is a big, strong defender, perfect in that Gary O'Neill system, really. But I mean, they're not very adventurous, are they? I mean, they don't they they don't take the game to you. They kind of again they kind of sit deep and hope you'll come at them so they can counter and. I mean, that's exactly what they did against Man City um, and it worked an absolute treat for them. And so, you, you know, I thought it was a tough game, but purely for that mainly, but also because our, our, our run of form at the Molyneux has been has been poor in recent years. But I kind of said, well, that's got to end at some point. And, um, I, you know, I don't get, I try not to get too hung up about past records at places because 
you know, it's it's all it's 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 not relevant a lot of the time. Obviously, you're, you're playing with different managers uh, with, with different players, etc. And that's kind of how it was. But also because they also get up for it at Molyneux against Villa, they see it as a really big game, don't they? The Wolves fans, and so they do make it a, a decent atmosphere for the players to play. And the Wolves tend to sort of thrive on that. So yeah, I, I did think it was going to be a tough game, and I thought that. Uh, I thought it was going to be a close game. I think if anyone was going to win it, it would have been one goal either way, which, well, in the end, it, it kind of showed that that we would be right, really. So, so yeah, it was um, it, it was a tough game. It was a really tough game. But I think the most important thing was that we didn't lose the game, essentially. Yeah, I think Wolves, they, they I mean, I think they'll be down there this season. I think they will struggle, but I think when they want to, they can be effective. I mean, getting four points out of uh, Man City at Molyneux and then Villa, I think that's a very decent return. I think they obviously lack goals going forward. I think Villa have already scored more than double the amount of goals that Wolves have scored this season. So I think if anything's going to hinder them this season, it's going to be that. But an hour before kickoff, then team news comes out and it's a little bit interesting. There was murmurings before the game, but Cash... Uh, sort of getting that license to go further forward with a sort of five at the back system. Luca Dina and Cash getting that license to go further forward. And it's sort of the same uh, system that we used at Burnley, which obviously worked an absolute treat. So going into the game, a, a slight difference there. Obviously, Diego Carlos coming back in as well for the first time in the Premier League since uh, we went off early against Liverpool. So slightly different. But I think the main things as well were the fact that Diaby and Kamara were back in there. Yeah, I, f- I think he did it to to put McGinn over on that side to try and combat the threat of uh, Neto. To be honest, I think he wanted to he wanted to double up and be sort of workmanlike over that side and sort of support Luca Dean over that side. And so that's why I think that's why he did it. John McGinn came in and then Cash obviously played on the played over on the right hand side. Um, so yeah, I've, I I wasn't I wasn't too surprised. There's not a lot else we could do with the team. I suppose you could have put Bailey or Zaniolo in there, but. It would have been a, a bit more sort of attacking. I think Villa were trying to trying to combat their main threats essentially. Um, yeah, and Kamara and Diaby played. Apparently, they were playing on uh, painkilling injections. Apparently, so obviously they weren't feeling entirely themselves. And so it, it, it was good to see that they, they made themselves available. And um, but yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's just tough at the moment. Our injury our injury list is well has been stacking up, hasn't it? And if you add if you added Diaby and Kamara to it, it would have been a very sort of you know, weak-looking Villa side, just so without them. Um, and so it, it, it was good to see them out there, despite they probably weren't, weren't on their A game because of that, I wouldn't have thought, and that's why this international break will will give them that rest. But yeah, I think I think that's why it was. I, th- I think that's why he brought Carlos in and uh, and shifted it around a bit, just to just to make us a little bit more steady, I think. Yeah, especially Diaby. I don't think he was at his best yesterday, and you could tell there was probably something not quite right with him, um, and it turns out that way. Jacob Ramsey out as well for what looks like could be another six to eight weeks with a metatarsal injury. Rumours are that it's on his other foot as well, which is a huge, huge miss. I think, obviously, in the Brighton game, him getting that goal, you think, OK, we're back now. He's going to have that competition on the on the left-hand side to offer that against Zaniolo or, or McGinn when he plays over there. He offers that competition, and he's such a vital player for Villa. And the stuff with Moreno as well, where it looks like he's had a setback and have those two, your whole left-hand side, who was so, so brilliant at the end of last season, to both be out and both looking like it's taken a little bit longer than we'd like to come back from injury. It's, it's so frustrating, isn't it? Because those two are so crucial for Villa. But hopefully now, again, with an international break, they can get a little bit closer to coming back. But again, it's a long time to wait, isn't it? And they're so crucial to us. Yeah, they are. And that, and that's the thing with Villa's injuries this season. They haven't been to just fringe players who you can sort of you know cope with out. The likes of like a Dendonka or even like a Tillemans or a John Duran or, or anything like that, or like a Bailey. It's been to absolute key players, hasn't it? You know, Mings, Buendia, Jacob Ramsey, Alex Moreno, all players that would be starting for us. And then obviously Diaby and Kamara last week. They're all players that sort of start for us week in, week out. And so it has been tough. It has been really tough. And I think 
I, I've been saying it ever since the start of the season. Our left hand side has just been decimated because you you know you take out the likes of Moreno, Ramsey, and Buendia, all players that played down that left hand side for us at one time or another last season. So yeah, it's been a big big blow to 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 lose them. And I think especially as Moreno and Ramsey have got so close, and Ramsey's actually come back a couple of times, and then for him to have had, for him to have had either a recurrence or the same injury on the other foot is just. Well, it's just really unlucky, isn't it? And such a big blow because, as you say, Rams is so important to how we play, you know, getting the team up the field, running at teams and making that space. He's he's, he's kind of unique, as is Moreno. You know, I kept thinking of how, how good would it have been to have Moreno yesterday, getting to that byline, whipping in them, you know, sort of quick crosses. Um, you know, he, he would have been he would have been another threat for Wolves to deal with yesterday. So, yeah, it's a big blow. It's a big blow to not have them to available. Um, hopefully, after the international break, Moreno can sort of start his rehab again back into the team. Um, and obviously, the international break probably comes at a good time because it sort of wastes another couple of weeks before Ramsey will return. So, what we're talking about, six to eight weeks, he might only be like another month or just over a month after that. So, I think I said to you yesterday, it might be sort of just before Christmas time, we expect Ramsey maybe to be back, which feels like a long time away, doesn't it? But it's just frustrating. It's so stop-start. Um, I mean, we're fifth, we're fifth kind of thing without them. I mean, imagine... Imagine where we'd be without the injuries. It's uh, it's really frustrating. It's really frustrating because it's it's um, you know, I think it, I think it hampers what Emery's been trying to do this season. Yeah, I was going to say it makes our start to the season so much more impressive, doesn't it? I mean, we're fifth in the league without these players. Like I said, it just it just makes you wonder where would we be and what what would the possibilities be if we had these players back? Mings, Wendia, Ramsey, Moreno, even even others that have sat out a couple of games this season. It's so frustrating. What do you reckon to the atmosphere yesterday? Then because we always say the worst away end in the Premier League. I mean, me and you go everywhere and Wolves away for me is the worst one I think they know what they're doing in terms of that away in because it's so stretched out on the side of the pitch it's so hard to get an atmosphere going I mean we were at sort of one end um, yesterday and you look along you can see like the other end of the Villa fans are sort of singing different songs you can see it's like a whole different atmosphere down there so it is frustrating what they do I mean it's it's clever it makes it hard um, for an atmosphere to get going in that away end we we're also talking about that weird sort of temporary stand that Wolves have got in the corner it's very very weird I mean those fans over there aren't, aren't even looking at the pitch the atmosphere was okay though all in all I just think it's all a bit it's all a bit weird Molyneux especially as an away fan yeah it's not it's not a great away end it's not it's not my favorite at all it's one of my, it's one of the worst ones definitely in the league as you say I think they know what they're doing they sort of drown drown out the away fans by how they're doing it but to be fair I've got to say for the Villa fans I thought we were I thought it was better yesterday I thought the atmosphere was better in the away end probably helped by the fact we weren't one nil down after nine minutes like we usually are at Molyneux <laughs> um but yeah I th- it, was, it was okay it was it was all right I just think the game was a bit Nah, it was, it was so stop-start, which we'll get onto, but it was so stop-start that I think both sides really struggled to really get an atmosphere going. It was a bit it was a bit dull, wasn't it? It certainly was. And before the game, they had um, quite a few banners and flags, which I'm a, I'm a fan of, to be fair. That's something that obviously I'd like at Villa Park and Project B6, for example, are doing their best to sort of do that. I do, I do really like that sort of thing. They did have one banner beyond the goal, though, at the other end to where we were, though, which read, The European Cup, you're welcome. When we saw them unveiling that, we were like, well, we saw the first bit, the European Cup, and I was like, oh, what they're gonna, what they're gonna say here? Then they sort of opened up the whole thing that says, "You're welcome," which was, which was very strange. I think there was a comment on my, um, my video, which I'm presuming was from a Wolves fan. They said. Wolves are the greatest club side in the world, mid to late 50s. And off the back of that, along with the Eastern Bloc countries, invented the European Cup. Without Wolves, Villa wouldn't have had a chance to win it. I'm not sure about that. I mean, make of that what you will. Still think it's it's a little bit strange that it's all down to Wolves. I don't really understand that. It was it was a little bit of a strange one that was. It's just weird, isn't it? Would you? Hey, why why would you? Why would you? Uh, why would you commission a flag to say that? 
It's just weird, isn't it? Like focus on yourselves, yeah. Focus on yourselves. I don't know who's got the funds together for that, whether it's been crowdfunded or whatever. But that is weird. Like, I mean, like, I mean, for the first first instance, to, to have a flag which no one knows what you're talking about. I mean, that doesn't that doesn't exactly make a very good impression, a very good start, does it? Uh, but that explanation is just weird. What's all that about? Like, that's like that's like I was holding up a flag saying like. Uh, for English Football League, you're welcome because we, because obviously our founder, William McGregor, founded the Football League. Like, we wouldn't do that. It's just weird, isn't it? Imagine taking that round. Well, you take it to the Etihad when Man City win the league every season. Just take just that. take it around the whole 92 clubs every year. Like, imagine, like, you're <laughs> welcome to every single team. It's weird, isn't that? Is weird. I'm sorry about that. If any of all signs are listening to this, which I doubt they are, but that, I'm sorry, lads, but that is bizarre. That's really weird. So, yeah, n- not a fan of that. I, I quite liked all the other flags. I thought they. I thought they made a decent mm. effort that. I'd, as you just said, I'd like to see Villa do a little bit more of that. I do think it gets the atmosphere going. And I think looking at like how St. James's Park was the other night in the Champions League against PSG, mm. I'd love Villa Park to become something like that. I know I know, we've made a start, really, with some of the flags in the halt. And, um, it, I think it looks good. I, I'd love to see more. I would like that. I think it, I think it does look good and it, and, and, and it generates an atmosphere. But, yeah, I'm not so sure on these, uh, on these weird banners that no one knows what anyone's talking about there. Yeah, I think the the sort of consensus with all the Villa fans was like, that's weird, because I heard loads of people behind us sort of reading out and thinking, well, what does that mean, though? And you're right, what is the point of having a banner where everyone's looking at it, like, really confused? Like, it's hardly, it's hardly like, scary, is it, as Villa fans? We're not thinking that, we're not sat there going, oh, that's intimidating. Yeah, really, really strange one that was. Villa started the game pretty well then, I think, especially in the what, first 10 minutes. We moved the ball quite well, had a couple of chances, uh, quite a few corners as well, which we, t- which we tend to go short with all the time, which, which is quite bizarre and doesn't always work work out. Uh, McGinn had a really good long range shot, which from where we were, it was looked like it was very close. And looking at the replay, it was that close. It was a really, really good effort. Uh, Jose Sar was going to get nowhere near that. I think just before that as well, Cash had probably the best, uh, most clear cut chance in the half of probably both sides. Um, again, great balling from John McGinn on that left-hand side. Uh, Cash at the back stick, obviously more advanced. It was probably the best chance in that first half. It was, it was pretty slow, wasn't it? I think after that sort of 10 minute spell early on, Wars grew into the game a little bit, a little bit more possession. But didn't really have too much to do with it, did they? I think they had a bit of a lack of quality going forward. Neto didn't really get on the ball as much in that first half. And definitely before the game, that Neto versus Luca Dean sort of battle was one that I was really looking at. I think Luca Dean, especially away from home, has that tendency to fall asleep and be a little bit slack and whatever. But I think he coped with him okay uh, throughout the game. But in that first half, nothing really happened, did it? Especially in terms of clear-cut chances. Yeah, I, I think we started well. I think um, I think you're right. I think we played some nice football and it led to Matty Cash's chance, which was uh, a decent save, to be fair. It was, a, it, was, it was a nice move from Villa. But yeah, we started well. I just think that we kind of lost our heads a little bit. We were dragged into all the silly ongoing things that were happening on the field in terms of like McGinn constantly getting into arguments with Craig Dawson off the corners. And there was other little things weren't there. And there were so many stoppages. I think the referee made it his intention to to make it all about himself, didn't they, the, the, uh, yesterday. And just silly little fouls, like constantly like the referee blowing his whistle rather than playing advantage or playing on. Like I found that yesterday. It was really tedious to watch because... There's so many, so much of that, and so much players rolling over and feigning injury when it wasn't really an injury, and there was a, such such a lot of that yesterday. And I and I mean that from both sides. I don't mean just from the Wolves' perspective. I mean it from both sides. But yeah, as you say, Wolves didn't do a lot to trouble Emmy Martinez in the first half, and we had that we had that one from Matty Cash. But disappointing, really, the first half in terms of how we controlled the game because first 10, 15, I thought we were really sort of on top, and it was like right, we're setting the setting the agenda for today's game here by by starting like this. Um, but unfortunately, we didn't carry on with it, and 
like I say, we got dragged into these little silly tussles and the volume the volume of time we gave the ball away was horrendous. I mean it was it was constant in that first half, like giving the ball away time and time again from the from the centre halves just doing massive long balls up the field or or just the midfielders being a bit static and there wasn't a lot of movement was there. I said to you like Watkins and Diaby were barely in the game in that first half and so and then you had John McGinn, who was a bit too, for me, a little bit too focused on on what was going on around him with the opposition and uh, all that silly tussle with Dawson. So yeah, it was it was um it was a disappointing first half, but it was really, like I say, really tedious first half. You could feel the the frustration. And I said to you, if you were a neutral watching that in the first half, you'd have probably have switched off. It was that poor. Yeah, definitely the passing was was really really off, and the centre backs firing the ball into midfield, and it really not sticking. I think Watkins and Diaby had an incredibly quiet first half. I think Diaby was probably off it all day. I think he came off on like the hour mark, didn't it? It just wasn't quite happening for him, um, and it came out that he was on some sort of injection, so he might not have been hundred percent before the game. But just the passing, we were so careless, weren't we? And it's like, okay, we've made a couple of bad passes here. Let's just calm down a little bit and keep the ball. But we just kept doing it, didn't we? But what I will say is, we're probably happy with nil nil at half time especially like you said earlier about last couple of times we've been there we've been one nil down within nine minutes um, and then we just haven't been able to come back so I think at half time I think possession was 50-50 as well in that first half you'd have taken nil nil wouldn't you and then second half you know what Villa are like I mean I compared it to that Chelsea game I know at the first half against Chelsea we were okay and not quite as poor as we were in this Wolves game but you get especially away from home, at half-time, nil-nil. You know probably the second half is going to be that much better. Unai Emery would not have been happy with them at half-time. Make a couple of changes, potentially. You hopefully get a slightly different second half. But going in at nil-nil, I'd have taken that, to be honest. I don't think that was the end of the world. No, it wasn't because, you you know, you, you usually know that Villa will find, you know, their rhythm in the second half and, and move through the gears. And that's kind of what we expected. And um, But yeah, I think the manager would have been disappointed with the first half because he didn't control the game as he would have wanted he likes good possession of the ball he likes good movement um and we didn't do that very much we like I said we kept giving it away so yeah, it was it was good we got in at nil nil because we don't want to be chasing the game you know in the first half it gives the, gives the momentum to the to the home side so it was good we went in at nil nil but yeah Emery would definitely have been a little bit disappointed with with how the first half sort of panned out from, from our point of view it's a very good start to the second half though wasn't it? I think it sort of came out the blue people were still sort of getting to their seats um, again puts a low ball into Watkins again from that left hand side sort of a similar sort of ball to what he did for Cash not quite as deep but he was swinging in those balls from the left hand side Watkins does really really well to sort of get Villa's first effort on goal since that cash run and it's a great save from Jose Sar because he could easily have been asleep there probably a little bit unsighted it's actually a very very good save from Molly Watkins um, so it was, it was a decent start to that second half wasn't it we had quite a few corners it was a sort of reaction that you wanted to see sort of getting going early in that second half yeah it was I mean, it was what you expected a lot of possession a lot of domination um and it's been a, probably a little bit more direct, like, like you say, McGinn with that cross and um, Ollie Watkins with a, a really good effort. And yeah, it was a top save that was. I mean, you know, a lot of the time that, that goes in the net, doesn't it? And Villa are leading 1 0. But yeah, a really good save from the keeper. But yeah, the start we uh, absolutely wanted at the start of the second half. And that was before, obviously, all the all the stoppages again as it started happening in the second as it did in the first half. It was. It was just yeah. First, we thought we'd got that out of the out of the game system really, but then it started again, didn't it? And it sort of lost us on our way a little bit, didn't it? 
Yeah, definitely. We're just going back to Ollie Watkins. Their new contract signed this week on Friday afternoon. That came out so, so important. That is so crucial. Uh, new five-year contract signed till 2028. I think we were both concerned, weren't we? Sort of, there's always been rumblings about Ollie Watkins' contract. It seems to have gone on for so, so long. We were probably expecting it to get, to get done in the summer. Obviously, that didn't happen. And then as soon as you get closer to the sort of next summer when he's got one year left, you do start to worry, especially with these big sides around there, sort of Man United. I know they've signed a striker now, but there was rumours they were interested by Munich as well. How true that was, I don't know, but it wouldn't be too surprising to be fair because Ollie Watkins is a very, very good striker. I think I saw a, a stat that came out yesterday saying he's the only English player with 25 or more Premier League goal involvements since Unai Emery's first game in charge of Aston Villa, which is fantastic. People doubt Ollie Watkins and people know how much me and you love him. He's so good. His stats since Emery's come in are absolutely outrageous. So to get him tied down another five years, sort of put that sort of worry that both of us had to bed. So, so good that is, isn't it? Yeah, it was massive because I, I think I was I was getting really worried about it for quite a while now. And um and I, and I think the worry for me came from that, you know, we're a side that, you know, finished top seven last year. We've got aspirations to be even better than that into, you know, in terms of top four, top five, top six, um, and to win some trophies. And I think you look at his record and you compare that against other players in the league, and you know there's not many. He's like the he's one of the best of the rest, isn't he? Essentially, if you if you take Harland and Kane out of the equation because they've been absolutely unbelievable, um, and Harland's like a machine. Obviously, Kane's now moved to Bayern, but he was he was absolutely brilliant for, for Spurs. I think if you take them throughout the equation, Ollie Watkins is up there then with the best of the rest. You know, you look at the likes of like Ivan Tony when he's playing and Callum Wilson, and Ollie Watkins is well up there. And I, I just thought, you know, if we lose Watkins. How do you replace him? Um, I mean, every club in the every club in the land is looking for a top striker. I mean, you look at you look at like Man United in the summer, you know, and they spent such a lot of money on an unproven player in, in Hoyland, and he, he might turn out to be a great player. He, he probably will, but look how much money that is paid. No for guarantee, him. is there? No guarantee. There's no guarantee, and that's paying an awful lot of money for that. And so I just think if we lost Watkins, where would you even start? You know, like I'd, I'd worry about where you started to replace him. Um, and so it eases them fears. And I think, look, I think it makes sense. It makes sense from Ollie Watkins' point of view. He's in the, the form of his life under Unai Emery, who's massively improved him. Unai Emery's shown huge faith in him to be the number nine at Villa. And um, he, he, that faith was sort of increased last January when we sold Danny Ings and we didn't particularly replace him. Okay, we bought John Duran, but John Duran's a young lad who's learning his trade. He's not going to be your Ollie Watkins replacement. And so I think it showed a lot of faith in, in him from the manager last January. And it was probably a good a good trick in the book to use, really. I think it probably helped us along our way in these negotiations. And so, yeah, I'm really, really pleased. I think uh, he leads the line really well for us, even on his quiet days. I mean, yesterday was one of Ollie's quiet days, and yet he still got an assist. He, you know, he pulled a, a great save out of the keeper, and then he had another one, which we'll talk about later, was a bit contentious whether it was a penalty or not. And so, even on one of his quieter days, he he still had involvements, um, you know, in, in in terms of in terms of goal involvements and in terms of support you know help help helping the team as well and so I think he's a vital cog to what Emery's trying to do vital cog to Villa and so absolutely delighted he signed that new deal definitely and we say there's sort of no guarantee with signing a striker from abroad who's unproven like a Hoyland or whatever but I think Ollie Watkins is one of those few players where you probably have especially in the Premier League you have got a guarantee of scoring goals absolutely and I don't know we none of us know what's going on inside Ollie Watkins head and maybe if he's sort of what he's turning 28 
um, in December, I think it is. Is he sort of banking on one more massive move? I don't know. He might have been looking at Man United from his point of view. Look, he's not a Villa fan. So if he sees Man United calling, that's definitely, definitely going to be appealing. So to get him tied down, absolutely massive. And obviously he's in the England squad for the upcoming games as well. So hopefully he gets a bit of um, game time in there. And it was so funny to see Southgate sort of mention the words recency bias in there and how he didn't want it to be sort of like that. Whereas, like I said, let's just look at the stats. Watkins has done it since Una Omri's come in. So to talk about recency bias um, is probably just needless negativity from Gareth Southgate, which is something you've come to expect from him. Um, but unfortunately, we did go 1-0 down, didn't we? We did talk about that now. Louise trying to pop it through somebody's legs, wasn't he? And uh, Villas attacking third, which was really, really frustrating. Something you haven't come to expect from Louise. Maybe it's something he would have done a couple of years ago, but especially not this new sort of version of Louise. You definitely don't expect him to do that. And Wolves counter quite well. Um, Neto picking up the ball just inside Villas half and beats Torres potentially too easy. I mean, he's always going to have him on toast, isn't he, in terms of pace. Um, but he pops it in and Huang um, finishes it quite nicely. So frustrating to go 1-0 down, wasn't it? It was probably avoidable from uh, Douglas Louise's point of view. Yeah, and it was kind of a rhythm of, of the game, wasn't it? I mean, we, we gave the ball away so much that you felt like at some point we could be punished. And that's kind of what happened. Louise gave it away. And the one thing I'd say, that it's got to travel a long way, though, still, isn't it? And I don't think we did, I don't think we did well enough defensively to to sort of stop that from happening. Obviously, Torres was going to get burned for pace from Neto. He always was. But then, you know, the recovery defending in the box probably wasn't as, as good as it should do. And if you watch it, it sort of trickles through like Luca Dean's legs a little bit. He got like a slight defect, deflection on it. And yeah, it was it was frustrating. And it felt really against the run of play, didn't it? It felt, you know, I'm not saying we were absolutely bang on form. We weren't on top killing Wolves. But I mean, they hadn't fret- threatened a lot up until that point. So we were 1-0 down. You thought, oh my God, they're just going to sort of sit back and hold on to this lead now. Talk about Torres there, but I don't think it's particularly great from Carlos or Conza either. I think you, you, you look at it and I think Conza is sort of right tight on Huang, but Huang just gets there just ahead of him. He's that sort of split yard faster when Neto puts that ball in. So it is frustrating. And that's 1-0 Wolves and the atmosphere lifts. And we've always talked, we've talked already about how Wolves are quite pragmatic. So the longer sort of it's 1-0, Wolves get deeper and deeper. You've really got to score quickly. And I thought the reaction was absolutely fantastic. Um, I think we, we've already talked talks about it, about how Villa sort of struggle against the deep line side. We saw it against Mustar, Palace as well. So important to respond quickly. And it's a, a Louise sort of free kick that is floated in towards uh, Ollie Watkins, lays it off to Cash. He gives it back to him. It's a great ball in, isn't it, to the back stick to Torres. It sort of feels like it takes absolutely ages. It's proper floating in. And it takes ages to go in off uh, Torres's foot as well, just sort of bobbling in there. It's a great finish, isn't it? And his celebration was brilliant as well. Running over to the away end, tapping the badge, kissing the badge. Absolutely loving it. Seeing in that away end yeah it was one of them like speculative balls wasn't it from Watkins where like you kind of knew that somebody would be at the back post sort of thing and because uh, obviously the box was sort of full of players and yeah fortunately mm. Torres was there and yeah it was a lovely finish it was a probably a tough one probably a tough one to finish off really like, you're, you're, yeah, yeah. you're quite tempted there to smash it aren't you and, the, and you'll probably miss if you do but it was a really nice finish from Torres and uh yeah, I think it was it was really important we got back into the game that quickly, really. I think as the longer it would have gone on, the the rarely the Wolves fans would have got and I think it would have I think it would have been tough for us to get back into. So yeah, it was important we got back on level terms really quickly, which uh, sort of set set us up to try and go on and win the game essentially. Obviously it didn't happen in the end, but 
um, it gave us that platform to give it a right good go, didn't it? Yeah, I think we had a brief spell after the goal where we could have scored another one, but we didn't really capitalise on it too much. I think Zaniolo comes on um, for Diaby about five minutes later, who we've already talked about was quiet. I think the international break will be good for him. I think Neto has a really, really good chance a couple of minutes later, doesn't he? Really big chance where he fires over. That easily could have been uh, 2 1 Wolves. And then they bring on the big lad, don't they? Wolves up top, six foot seven. Um, his name's Kaladic. I'm probably saying that wrong. And you were saying, weren't you? Sort of it go- as it goes on and goes on, it could have gone either way. You were saying you probably would have taken a draw at that point because, like I said, it could easily have gone either way. Wolves are having chances. Villa are having chances. Probably goal- either goalkeeper not making too many clear cut saves, but you never know in a game like that. You never know what could happen. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Um, I think the longer the game went on and Villa you know, weren't scoring and um, I think, you know, I said, I did say, like, I'll take a point now. I didn't think we were great in in the whole game. It wasn't the usual Villa. I think we were we looked a little bit leggy at times, which is understandable. We've had a lot of games and we've we've not had many players to, to choose from. So I think understandably we looked a little bit leggy. And so at that point, you're thinking, right, let's just take the point and run sort of thing. I always say, like, if you're... If you can't win the game, make sure you don't lose it, kind of thing. And, and I think that was the, the sort of attitude I was getting to at that point. And obviously, that was before you know the incident with the red card. But I think it was it. I mean, it was even, wasn't it? At that point, there wasn't much. There wasn't much happening in the way of chances. You say Neto had that really good one for Wolves, and we were sort of, uh, you know, sort sort of sort of creating little half chances, but there was nothing. Like nothing like major going on, was there? No, not at all. I think Bailey and Telemans come on, don't know, with about 10 minutes to go. Um, was Ollie Watkins the penalty shout? Was that before 90 or was that after sort of 12 minutes go up? I can't quite remember. I think it was before. I think it was before, wasn't was it? Was it? I think so. Well, let's get on to that then. Let's talk about that. I can't remember who puts the ball through, but it's, I think it was it Leon Bailey who pops the ball through yeah. to, to Ollie Watkins. Yeah. It looks like a clear cut chance, doesn't it, really? Especially from where we're sat. It looks like a clear cut chance and it hits the side netting. I think for a split second, I thought that Ollie Watkins had blasted it into the top corner and it had gone in so there was a slight bit of um, annoyance there but what do you reckon then what do you reckon I think at the time you were super annoyed with Ollie Watkins because he's got to score there but looking back on it I don't think there's much more he could do really I mean he gets a clear clear hand in the back gets shoved over and he's already fallen over when he takes the shot that push from Doherty I, I don't know man I think every time you look at that it looks worse and probably should be a penalty for me uh, yeah, I, do you know what? At the time, I was annoyed. I thought he should have done better, Watkins. But obviously, that's from a, a difficult vantage point, quite far away. Not not a great view at all. But yeah, I mean, looking back on the replay, it's one of them ones, isn't it? It's you know what? It's fairly soft. It is fairly soft, but it, it, I mean, the movement definitely puts him off balance. And Ali Watkins definitely would have got the shot across goal, probably, like he did at Chelsea. Um, and so it denies him a decent opportunity, I suppose. I sometimes think maybe players shouldn't be as honest. And, you know, Watkins did try and stay on his feet and, and get that shot away. But I think if Watkins had literally just gone down at that point, I don't know, I think the referee might have pointed to the spot at that point. But Or or, or just go mental. As soon as you've taken the shot, just go mental. Go yeah. scream in the referee's face. That's yeah. what that's what convinces them. You know how soft these referees are. If the whole Villa squad are in his face, they're screaming and shouting. I'm not condoning it, but, you know, that's what, that's what gets you results because we know what these referees are like. I, I just think... If he doesn't push him there, he doesn't blast it up and into the upper corner and, and wise. I think I think it's a penalty. I think it's got a bit like you said. It's soft. It probably is. Like all it is is just an arm in the back. But in that moment when he's travelling at such speed and he's got his head down and he's about to shoot, that push is, is the difference. It should be a penalty. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think it alters the the chances of him scoring that push. And I think that to me is what probably makes it a penalty. I I do think it's soft, but then I think. Anywhere else on the pitch, if you did that, you would probably wow. get a foul for it. And so, 
Um, it's one of them. No, you never, you don't see them given very often. That, that, that's the only thing. I don't think you do see them given very often. There was one down the other end as well, wasn't there, where Wolves were claiming Kamara, you know, had had the hold of one of their players. And I mean, that one's even softer than the Watkins one, to be honest with you. But Was that the Neto one where he's running through and yeah. just sort of gets sandwiched? Was that one? Yeah, soft. I think looking at it, I do think Villa would have had a strong case for a penalty. I think it does alter how he gets that shot away and it alters the chances of him scoring. And so I do think it probably should have been a penalty, but it's one of them you rarely, rarely see given. Yeah, definitely. It's not a conventional penalty. It's not a tackle or anything like that. I just think it's sort of last ditch from Doherty, isn't it? I mean, Watkins is about to have the shot, so Doherty, Doherty just thinks, well, I haven't got anything else to do here. I might as well just give him a little shove. And that it's just that hand in the back. I think it's I think it's pretty obvious, but I don't know. Like you said, we don't see those given. But 12 minutes go up, don't know, for added time. And uh, we, have, we have our best chances of the game, all in that sort of 12 minutes, it feels. Like, don't we? I think Louise had one where he's, I think McGinn lays it off to him and it gets blocked. I think Cons had a really, really good chance as well. And then, sort of between that and the, the really last ditch Watkins chance, Lamina gets sent off. Just needs, I mean, it's standard, isn't it? I mean, these days you don't really know what, well, I don't know what a yellow card is because sometimes you think, oh, that's a blatant, blatant yellow card and the referee doesn't give it. And then five minutes later, a really soft foul, which is just a foul, he'll get booked. So I don't really know what a yellow card is anymore. Um, referees sort of make it up as they go along, it feels like. But Lamina gets sent off. I don't think there's too many arguments with that one, is there? No. Well, he pulled him back. It was a definite, a definite second yellow, and I think he'd been at it kind of all afternoon, sort of thing. So yeah, it was just, it was just persistent fouling, wasn't it? And um, and I think Wolves had the it was, what was it like twenty one fouls or something on Villa they committed yesterday, which is like a crazy, crazy number. So yeah, not surprised to see to see to see a red card, and yeah, it gave Villa the opportunity, didn't it, for the final ten minutes or so, whatever it was. Yeah, I think the game was definitely in Villa's hands, wasn't it? In that added time, I think Wolves were sort of time wasting quite a bit. They were wasting uh, for the full time whistle. I don't know how Jose saw I didn't get a book in. I mean, if that was Martinez, a hundred percent, he would have been booked because he's got that sort of reputation. But I just think it was that last one, wasn't it? I think we had countless corners which were hitting the first man, which was so frustrating. Just. Dean just floating aimless balls into the box but it was that Watkins one I think Louise is the one I think the referee literally has the whistle in his mouth but he sees the sort of attack playing out Louise whips it in it's a great ball and Watkins is a really strong header he's arriving he's probably unchallenged just hits the post the base of the post and it's so frustrating and as soon as that goes out the referee um, blows the final whistle and everyone's got their hands on their heads what could have been mate 103rd minute winner I think it would have been so super frustrating that one is yeah, I think I think we had three, didn't we? I think we had three real clear cut opportunities. I think the first one was uh, the corner which Zaniolo got on the end of at the back post, and his his shot literally trickled inches wide. It was unlucky actually because it was it was good technique for him to get the shot away like that, and it just agonisingly trickled wide. Um, you then had the Conza one, which again it was a nice bit of football. Again, the ball came in from uh, Luca Dean, I think it was, and um, and Conza shoots kind of straight at the goalkeeper either side. Again, that's a goal. Um, and then, yeah, the the as you say, the referee was literally about to blow his whistle, but he lets the attack play out. And um, a brilliant ball in by Louise, and oh, Ollie Watkins has probably got to be scoring. I think I said, oh, it's, diff- it's difficult. It's a header. It's difficult. But when you watch the replay, he was unchallenged. He's probably got to score, and it was a an absolute bullet header. And obviously, it hit the foot of the post, and that was the game. And really frustrating, really, because those three opportunities at the end. I mean, yeah. The, by the law of averages, we should have scored one of them, and uh, and Villa should have run out, you know, winners. And and I think that's probably where Unai Emery's frustration comes from after the game. He was talking about it was a really good opportunity for us to be, you know, in the top four. He was saying that you know our start's been really good. He's, he's pleased with the effort the players have been 
making and he's um you know he's, he knows there's been a lot of injuries and stuff but you can sense his frustration because he saw it as a a really good opportunity to win the game and to be in that top four over the international break which I do I do think it was I, I really do and I think on another day Villa Villa probably scored two out of three of those chances on another day um but it was just one of them wasn't it it just wasn't meant to be but as I say it's not a bad result going there it's a tough place to go as Man City found out the other week um we've stopped the rot in terms of losing every time we go there um, and we we see ourselves fifth in the table as we as as we head into the international break, which with our injuries, with the setbacks we've had in terms of losing horrendously at Newcastle first day and then that poor defeat at Liverpool. I think I think we've done really well. I think we've done really well to be where we are. We're if you look at the position we're in, we're fifth in the table. We've had a lot of injuries. Um, and also, if you look at the Conference League, we had a pretty poor start in the Conference League, but now we're sort of back on level terms where we can start again. So. I mean, you look, you know, you, you you look at it and you think Villa are in a really sort of positive position. Definitely. And those quotes from Unai Emery, I've got them here. He says, we have some hard circumstances with injuries. We are competing very well. We are at home being very, very strong, but you have to be consistent to do it again. Today was a key moment to be in the top four. This draw is not bad, but we were trying to win. And I think sort of from my perspective, like, yeah, you absolutely take the point there. I think we were unlucky and added time with the chances we had, but that's football though, isn't it? I think last week against Brighton, we had quite a bit of luck. Yeah. I think, you know, with, with the own goal and things like that, we were very, well, I wouldn't say we were very lucky with that day, but just think individual moments, we had a little bit of luck, whereas um, against Wolves and added time, we uh, we didn't. But that's football. I think in terms of the stats, Villa had 54% of the ball overall, 18 attempts to Wolves is eight. Villa had 10 corners to Wolves is two. I think, yeah, you can look at the stats there, but overall in a game like that, probably think a point was fair enough. Yeah, I think on the overall play of the game, definitely. I think before the red card, I totally agree with you. But um, as expected, you know, you'd think Villa would carve out a few opportunities after the red card, which we did. Just, to, just, to, just annoying that we couldn't, you know, capitalise on 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 that red card essentially, and and those chances created. But it is look, it is what it is. You take the point and you and you move on. It 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 still makes us have a you know a, a pretty pretty solid start to the season, which which we're all really, really pleased about. Yeah, I saw someone on Twitter, apologies, I can't remember who it was, but they sort of said that's the sort of game where it's either glass half full or glass half empty. And I think we're pretty much glass half full, aren't we? I think it's definitely a decent result in isolation. I think, look, it's it's another week undefeated. Um, yes, we could have won it. Wolves could have won it as well. I think it's, it's good to stay undefeated and you get out of there with the points. Did you see um, Gary O'Neill refusing to shake Unai Emery's hand at the end? That was quite interesting. I think Emery goes over, offers his hand, and I don't know what O'Neill's um, talking about or complaining about, he doesn't want to shake his hand. You know, Emery's like, right, fair enough, and walks off. I don't know what was going on the benches throughout the whole game. Obviously, we're the other side. I think somebody got booked as well, didn't they, towards the end of the game? I don't know who that was, but it was going off all day, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was Villa's. Um, I think it was Villa's individual performance coach. That uh, is it Antonio Rodriguez or something. I think they call him. Rodri, don't they? I think it was him. I think it was him looking from a distance. I'm sure it was him. Um, yeah, there was something going on all day, but I found Gary O'Neill's comments really interesting after the game, though. Like, he tried, I mean, he was totally wrong about the whole game. I don't know if he was trying, it was like mind games, but he was trying to make out like we were really negative and Wolves like battered us and really took the game to us. And he was saying, he kind of alluded to the fact that, oh, I've never seen a team so sort of. He was trying to make out like we were negative and we weren't trying to win the game. And I was thinking, I don't know if you were watching the same game as me or not, if I'm being honest with you. like it was, I found his comments really, really strange. And then he made a comment about how much money we'd spent. And when you look at like net spend in terms of Wolves and Villa, it's like, 
I think Wolves have actually spent more. So I don't know what I don't know what he was talking about, if I'm being honest. Um, I've got the comments here. He says they're quite passive, Aston Villa. We forced them into a back six. I thought we probably edged it. There are a few chances Sar had to save at the end, but I don't remember him doing much. Glad we were capable of matching a good side who are in Europe. Yeah, a, a little bit strange. I don't, I don't think we were we were passive, and I definitely do not think Wolves edged it. Really weird. So we had so we so we had a few saves to make at the end, but he didn't do anything. I mean, he's, his own comments just <laughs> his own comments just contradicts himself. Don't they? Uh, yeah, bizarre, bizarre comments. I don't know what that was all about. Whether he was all angry or something, I'm not really sure. But really, really strange comments. I thought. Yeah, he's probably just all annoyed that he didn't get a handshake off uh, King Unai Emery. But I think it was a decent day all in all, really, wasn't it? I think you're looking at um, West Ham and Newcastle drawing as well, Brighton and Liverpool drawing as well. So that keeps Villa fifth. And, and the fact that neither, well, none of those sides have pulled away from Villa um, is, is, is very, very decent. Talk about West Ham there then. That's our next game, isn't it, in a couple of weeks at Villa Park? Unfortunately, it's at half four on a Sunday, which I'm not, it's probably the worst kickoff time you could have. But that is a huge game, isn't it? You've got West Ham, Alkmaar uh, midweek after that, Luton at home, then Forest away the week after that, and then we play Alkmaar again. Um, and then we've got Fulham. So we've said it the last couple of weeks, mate, but the run there looks like he's got the potential for points. But I think definitely West Ham coming to Villa Park in a couple of weeks after the international break. Our record against them isn't great. I can't remember us. We haven't beaten them, have we, since we've been promoted again? I can't remember, um, especially since fans have, have been around. I don't think we have. Um, so that'll be a, a very good game. I think they're they're a very good side, aren't they? I think Jared Bowen, he's just signed a new contract. Big, big fan of him. Antonio, when he's on form, is an absolute handful. So that's a tough game, isn't it? Yeah, no, it is. As you say, they've they've been one of our um one of our bogey sides as well. So them coming to Villa Park will be interesting, especially where how they started the season, they're sort of up there with us. Um, they'll pose us a lot of threats as well. So yeah, it should be it should be a good game. But I think as you say, our fixtures on paper up until sort of Christmas time look look fairly fairly kind or fairly nice. Um, and so yeah, you're, you're hoping Villa can get some points on the board. So yeah, it should be a good one. Looking forward to it. Never like the international break. Never enjoy it. So I'm sure we'll be will be ready and raring to go by the time West Ham roll into Birmingham. Absolutely. And then that midweek, we'll be making the trip to uh, Alkmaar. And talking of that, we're, uh, we're going to have to make a move because it's currently recording this at uh, 10 to 5 on Monday afternoon. And you can sort your tickets out, can't you? Think? I've got to wait till 7. Uh, but we're going to get our tickets sorted for Alkmaar tonight. Really, really looking forward to that. Cannot beat a European trip with the Villa. But without further ado, enjoy your international breaks. Any final words from you, Matt? I think Gordy talks about it. Villa fifth in the league in the October international break. Looking at the league table, it looks so, so good there, doesn't it? They're sort of up there with the big boys, top four, Tottenham, Arsenal, Man City, Liverpool, and then Villa are in there as well. So, so good. Yeah, it's like I said, like I said at the start of the podcast, it's really good to be back up there mixing it with the big boys again, really. And um, yeah, nice position for Villa to be in. We've, we've had a really solid, solid start to the season um, with a lot of things going against us, really, especially with injuries. And so, yeah, positive for what the rest of the season holds and, I think uh, I think you'll see an even more polished Villa in the second half of the season, which will be really, really exciting and something to look forward to again. But yeah, you know we're, we're a bit of a work in progress at the moment, but yet we're still fifth in the table and doing doing really well. So yeah, positive vibes all around, really. Absolutely. If you have enjoyed the podcast, please do subscribe on whatever podcast platform you are listening on, so you never miss an episode. Please do enjoy your international breaks, whatever you're up to next weekend. Don't find it too boring without the football. Without further ado, we shall speak to you after West Ham. Up the Villa. Mm-hmm.